And this is how it reads. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do arise. Let us go from here. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for this beefy, juicy text with so much to say. And I pray that we would hear you today. That you would break through all the traffic and surface noises and ambiences that so fill our heads to hear you today for what it is you wish to speak. And today that this would be on this Mother's Day 2018 the greatest Mother's Day we've ever had whether we're a mother or not. But it would be the greatest Sunday we've ever had. We would get you and get this better than we ever have. And I just pray today that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear you, to receive from you. And that this time would be perfect time spent. God, immerse me in your spirit. Come upon me and do your perfect work now, I pray. Captivate us in your word, I pray in Jesus' name. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Our context. Jesus is about to obey the hardest command ever given. Forfeit all your rights, your entitlements, your power, your privileges, and willingly let yourself to be tortured to death to save your tormentors. Oh, one quick note, one brief second of taking back that power, reclaiming the upper hand, taking that rightful position, obliterates your mission. You must be perfect and you must stay attached to the Father with every breath. And yet, he will at one point remove himself as Jesus cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sadachtani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To finish the mission. This is my example. Jesus, my example. And I call myself Christian. Like him. Yet in all this, he has committed all of his time to padding the walls with peace for his disciples. All this time, he's consumed with helping, cudgeling them as the dawning shadow of his egregious mistreatment arises This is my example. All he can think about is everybody else. And I call myself Christian like him. But, because he knows my human feebleness, 
All of you will betray me. Jesus knows my failures, but enters into the relationship with me in full knowledge that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Timothy would be taught this by Paul in 2 Timothy 2.13. And he knows my heart, and he knows my desire, and he knows that my heart and my desire are infinitely greater than the actual force of my resolve. And in the gales of this maelstrom, he speaks this word, peace. Jesus has told them he's leaving. And for these men who have forsaken everything to follow him, this must be the worst information they've ever heard. I wonder if it would be for me. I wonder if I woke up one day and just didn't even sense his presence. Not that I have to sense it. Would it cause a panic in my heart? Jesus is speaking to guys who their entire world is being shattered in front of them. If you think about it, they don't get this whole death and resurrection thing. They're not getting it at all. But though Jesus is leaving, what we see here is that he's going to leave peace from Jesus. The Holy Spirit will be sent by the Father. And you shouldn't go anywhere without him or attempt to do anything except pray as you wait. What's really rocked me this week is the way that Jesus uses these words. Because every one of us living in this city want peace. I don't think we even know what it is. But we want it. And we crave it because there's something inside of us that yearns and it seems like something that's just a centimeter beyond our reach, like we can almost touch it. And yet in Scripture it's mentioned 369 times. And Jesus, as he looks at these men, will say first to Peter at the beginning of the chapter after telling him he's going to fall hard, don't let your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And then notice here in verse 27, he says the same thing to all of them now. Let not your heart be troubled. It's important to note. Let means that it will happen if you do nothing. Don't let children play in the streets. If you do nothing, they will. Don't let little boys shove beans up their noses. What is it with us? I'm talking about when we're really little, not now. We don't. We have other things. Don't let yourself get old. Don't let yourself get fat. Don't let yourself sleep in late. Don't let the world distract you or the enemy convince you his lies are true. Because if you do nothing, it will happen. And he's looking at them, and in the Greek vernacular here, he's saying, vernacular, he's saying, you're going to have to consciously choose for this not to happen. Your heart is going to be troubled. Terraso means to be agitated. And you're going to be afraid. At this particular moment, these will be the things that will wage war on your peace. Being troubled and fear. Both, by the way, according to this verse, tells us it's in the heart. But Jesus says two things in verse 27 instead of one. 
Did you notice he doesn't say, peace I give you, and then he moves on. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So in one case he's leaving it, and in another case he's giving it. And in that order, how do you leave it and then give it? And then he tells us that there are two different kinds of peace. Not as the world gives. So there's the peace the world gives. And there's the peace Jesus gives. And the more I dive into this, the more I fall in love with Jesus. Looking at people that he's walked with for years. And he is facing the most heinous execution though being absolutely innocent, for the people he knows will bail on him, for the people that will nail him to the cross, that will spit on him and, and blindfold him and punch him and hit him with reeds and scourge him and say, if you're really the Christ, come down from the cross. And he's dying for these people. But before all of that, imagine before that, he's looking at a bunch of guys and all he can think about is them freaking out instead of him freaking out. Would you do it? If you had a dentist appointment tomorrow, how many of you would all you'd be concerned about are the people around you? So I start to look at this and, I, and it just blows up in my face because of the word he uses. So we have to start with this word peace. The word peace in scripture is the word irene, at least in the New Testament when it's written in Greek. And then it comes from the base word iras, and iras means to join. The problem with me, I won't say you, you can decide that on your own, is that if I'm lazy, I will gladly take what the world says as a definition instead of what the Bible teaches. And here becomes one of our fundamental differences right from the get-go because this word peace here demands more than one person. Because the term to join comes from the idea of more than one person. You can't have this kind of peace without a relationship. So case in point, Jaden stands up and says something so offensive to Tunde. I don't know what it is. But this is all hypothetical, by the way. And Tunde is offended. For which scripture says, a brother offended is harder to win than a walled city. And contentions are like iron bars. So at this point, Tunde is all smooth and cool, but he looks at Jaden and he's like, hmm, and that's all you get. And that's his open declaration City's closed as far as Jadenville is concerned. But somewhere in there, something has to happen. If Jaden were considering the relationship important, Jaden would get to the point where, and I would imagine as much as I know Jaden, it wouldn't be very long, where he would realize that something was done that was wrong. And Jaden would seek audience with Tunde. And as he sought audience with Tunde, 
He comes with this thing that's between them. These words said. Now, Janin's smarter than your average cookie. And I don't know the IQ of an average cookie, but I would imagine Jaden's smarter than it. And Jaden knows saying sorry doesn't really cut it. Of course you're sorry. We have no relationship and I'm awesome, thinks Day, And therefore, Jaden's clearly suffering because he has no Day in his life right now. And with that, he's sorry. And all that's saying is, I'm experiencing a portion of misery. Isn't that what we're saying when we say we're sorry? But let's be honest. It may not be from the event. It may be from the consequences of the event. I'm sorry because you're angry at me and now you're getting all kinds of weird and we have this weird relationship now or lack thereof. I'm, very, I'm experiencing misery from all of those things. What Tunde needs is for Jaden to openly declare that what he did was wrong. Because that is something they would be able to agree upon. You're probably aware that the word in the Greek for same is the word homo. The word for word is the word logos. When you have the same words, the same understanding, the same reasoning, we would call it homologamos. In the simplest sense, we would be saying they have the same reason or understanding. Or he could go and do something else. He could try to go to Tunde and try to explain to him in reason why he said what he said, which never addresses the fact that it was wrong. The word in the Greek for out of, and I'm putting this together here in a second, the word for, the, for out of is the word apo. So when you're doing something out of your reasoning, it's an apologias. In other words, it's an apology. But to be honest, it's actually not what we're mostly looking for. An apology just says, let me give you the reasons. I was hangry. I was tired. It was a rough day. Now, those things may be true, but it gives Tunde no confidence this will ever not happen again. It actually tells him the other way around. The next time that Jaden is hangry or tired or whatever, he's probably going to do it again, and that really is going to put a damper in our relationship. What he needs is to have the same agreement. Homologamos. The word homologamos translated in the New Testament is the word confess or confession. Genuine confession, according to Scripture, is having the same words or reason that God does. That's what a confession is. I may have said it was this, and here are my reasons out of logic, out of whatever. But that gets you nowhere. Versus God, you said this was wrong. I'm going to call it wrong. It's not a little white or a little oversight or a little fib 
or a little ticky-ticky. It's what God calls it, and that's the way it is. So James done that part. He has come and he's confessed. Tunde, I want you to know when I said, and by the way, I highly recommend, as a friend who counsels, separate the person from the problem. Tunde, I want to say, this thing, when I said it, this thing being said is wrong. Will you forgive me? That's Jaden's part. Does that make sense? He's not trying to reason away why he did it. He's just trying to make clear to Tunde, God bless you, he agrees it's wrong. But then Tunde is stuck in a crisis because Tunde has the responsibility of doing something called forgive. Now, please hear me in this. Have you ever thought about the word in the English? When we have four at the beginning of a word, what does that mean? Foretell. Four means ahead of. Do you realize what forgive really means? To give ahead of it. Jaden's done his part, but he can't make Tunde forgive him. But Tunde knows as a Christian man he is to live that life. Jesus puts it this way. To the level in which you forgive, you should expect to be forgiven. So it's like this. Jesus is like, you are totally at luxury and liberty to, for, to not forgive anything you want as long as you're willing to go to hell for it. <laughs> Here's the problem. What if what Jaden did really, really hurt Tunde? And Jaden has done his part. And Tunde, on the other hand, doesn't believe that Jaden is it's that Jaden is worth the forgiveness. He storms off at this point. Jaden's still pretty miserable. Here's the problem. Tunde's more so. And from now until the next time, or even between that first encounter and the second, Tunde has been playing it in his mind. The problem is when he plays it in his mind, he relives the moment over and over and over again. But have you noticed that when you relive those moments, you still feel the pain? In other words, Jaden may have said something that slapped him upside the head unkindly. Although that's not like Jaden, and that's why I picked him, because he's far from this example. But he's only done it once. But in Tunde's mind, he's done it 400 times, because Tunde has rolled it in his head 399 times, and every time he does, he gets re-slapped upside the head, because he keeps living the moment and he keeps feeling the pain. Are you all with me on this so far? And as long as... Tunde does not forgive. The two of them will never have peace. Is that fair to say? I don't know if you've ever heard it, but bitterness is drinking poison to spite your enemy. And Tunde erodes. And he gets weaker and weaker and angrier and angrier and more miserable and more miserable. But can I just tell you this? If somebody deserves forgiveness, it's not really forgiveness. 
Forgiveness demands grace. It can't really be forgiveness if they deserve it. There'd be nothing to forgive. Aren't you thankful that 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? Forgive. Not sorry, God. Not giving him all the reasons why you did it. Admit with him it's wrong. He's faithful and he has a right. He's just. He's positionally correct to forgive you of that sin. Now we need to talk about that word forgive. The word forgive, and this becomes the problem. Well, what if Tunde says, all right, Jane, and I forgive you. Do you think he'll remember that moment still? The first moment? Sure. Unless he gets a lobotomy, you know, Tunde's a pretty quick guy. I would imagine in that, it isn't like he, that gets wiped out of your memory. There's the problem. But here's the most amazing part. Between these two moments, every time Tunde has reviewed that in his head, he gets slapped upside the head and feels that same pain. Forgiveness does not remove the memory, but forgiveness will remove the pain. And you'll be able to look at the moment very differently. Isn't that what you really want? And I can look back at a moment that was extremely painful and not, and I don't know about you, but I experience pain when I look back at memories that I don't deal with like that. And I can go back to that memory. In some cases, it's a moment I found something out because I wasn't there. In some moments, it was actually right in front of me. And when real forgiveness happens, God removes the pain from it. Oh, it's still there. It's still locked. And it's got to be different because God separates the two things. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God actually tells us he's going to do both. Clearly things are different. Somewhere in the divine act of forgiveness, We detach from the torture of it. But the person doesn't deserve it. Of course they don't deserve it. But the person was horrible and mean. Of course they were horrible and mean. You can't change that. But you can change how it sits in your heart, can't you? The word forgive and the Hebrew is the word, and it should be easy to remember, NASA, like N-A-S-A if we were to put it in English vernacular. The word in the Greek is the word afiemi, and it means simply to lift off and leave. Here becomes the problem. Back to our story. Tunde is having a real hard time getting it off of him. He doesn't want it off of him. Let's face it. Now, who do you think is telling him not to get it off of him? There is a classic non-forgiver out there. And here's the crazy part. They have done, nothing's been done wrong to them. They've done all the wrong. Isn't it amazing that the one person who has the biggest problem with law officials is actually a lawbreaker? 
course they don't want you to forgive. They want you to continue to hurt yourself and torture yourself and feel that pain over and over and over again until you are crippled to think you are such damaged goods you will never live that abundant life Christ offers. And you think, that's something Jesus offered to people that were clearly not in my situation. But it needs to be lifted off. And can I just say, genuine forgiveness is a divine act. And Jesus, that's his whole purpose. Nobody would die a harder death for people who deserve it less than Jesus. And he lives inside of you. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the great forgiver lives inside of you. So why am I even bringing you to this story? How does that play out with the text? Because in verse 27, when he says, peace I leave with you, the word leave is afiemi. The word for forgive. Literally what Jesus says in verse 27 is peace I forgive with you. That's why he would say after that, my peace I give to you. Because there is no peace without forgiveness. And could you honestly, honestly, honestly think? And I'm not belittling the horrible things that have happened to you. But for the horrible things that have happened to you specifically by an individual, could you count those things up and think in any way that they surmise a greater crime, a great criminal docket than the total accumulation of all the wrongs we've done to God? Well, I didn't do that to him. No, you may not have. But every day that I live, I offend him with my thoughts or my heart or my attitudes or worse yet, with those things that I'm stupid enough to act out. And Jesus looks at a group of people, I remind you, and every one of them is going to leave him tonight. Every one of them is going to scatter to save their own life instead of his. And Peter's even going to deny that he knew him three different times before the rooster crows twice. And he looks at them and he's going, Peace, I forgive you. Of all the people, these people. Jesus didn't go, Hey, for all the things past, yeah, let's look over let's overlook those. Jesus looks at them and goes, You are about to have one of the worst moments in your Christian walk. And I just want you to know ahead of time, I already forgive you. If he didn't say this here, he couldn't say in chapter 15, I need you to cling to me once you do. Because the whole point of chapter 15 will be, you guys got to stick with me. Peace comes at forgiveness. Jesus and the Father forgive us and he gives us peace with them. And we forgive and the first person he gives us peace with is ourselves. And therefore, because we have that peace, we're able to issue it to someone else. When the, but there's the hard part. When the Father forgave, and this was the thing the Lord took me to the woodshed, when the Father forgave, the greatest part of him died. You're aware of that, right? 
for the Father to forgive that which he loved had to die. But it wasn't permanent. That same thing that the Father had to watch die would rise up again in a resurrection power. And that entitlement that we feel, that part of us that feels so consumed, it feels like we have a right not to forgive. We have a right to continue to torment ourselves. Don't you think today would be a really good day to let that go? And you go, well, I don't believe I have the power to let that go. Well, then ask Jesus to do it for you. There are people I love very dearly who may never, ever live a normal life because they're still holding on to events that took place when they were teens. And there's nothing that I can say that that in essence is proper with the, the amount of horrible stuff that happened to them. But those people are long gone from their lives. But they still continue to invite them back in through their memories and relive this moment over and over again. And they're angry at them and they're angry at themselves and they're angry at God. And Jesus looks and goes, you realize every offense is against Him. And he goes, I forgive you. The peace that I have starts at forgiveness. And then he says, my peace I give to you. And he tells us it's not as the world gives. So then I'm on my face and asking, all right, what's the difference between your peace and the world's peace? And I realize that the world offers peace in three different ways. The world tries to offer peace via explanation. If you could just understand it, maybe you'll get a little bit of peace out of it. You ever have that? Something happens to you, and it's a rough event, and it's clearly not fun, and you're not enjoying yourself in it. And you're like, if I could just understand why God did this, if I could just understand why he allowed it, if I could just understand where was God in this, then I would get a little bit of peace out of it. That's the world's offering of peace. Get a little bit of understanding and maybe you'll get a little bit of peace out of it. And yet what Philippians 4 tells me, that if I'm willing to focus on the things that are of God, it tells us that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard my heart and mind. God has a peace that is beyond my understanding. There is some things on earth I will never understand. And if we're going to be honest, I would be a fool to think I would get it. And instead of demanding an explanation from God, I think it would be so much nicer if I could just Get God to override my understanding and give me a peace beyond it. As a matter of fact, Isaiah tells me, 27.3, that you promise to keep in perfect peace those whose hearts are stayed on you. The second is peace through retaliation. If I could just get them, if I could get them and watch them suffer, 
then I'll have some peace. The movie industry has made billions on this. I knew I was in trouble before I was even saved being a violent kid when I would watch those revenge movies because the first 45 minutes makes you really like someone and then tortures them heinously in front of you. And then, by the, time, and then the rest of the movies, the hero trying to hunt down that person, and by the time it's done, it's like a bullet to the head, and you're like, that's it? I spent 45 minutes watching this person get tortured. Now this person gets shot. And I knew I was in trouble when I thought that person did not die slow enough. And I'd rewrite the ending in my head. I knew that I was messed up at that point. Well, I knew I was messed up before that. It was just another symptom. And yet what it tells us in Colossians 1.20 is that Jesus reconciled all things to himself, things in heaven and things, or things on earth and things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus didn't bring retribution. Jesus brought reconciliation. So if I can't get it with explanation and I can't get it with retaliation, there's only one left, and that's distraction. And we live this way, from one distraction to the next. And it's a 74-hour Star Wars binge with all due respect to Star Wars people or Lord of the Rings or whatever your particular saga or tragedy or so forth is. Or it's getting wasted because somewhere inside, if I could just distract myself long enough, it'll be like a moment's peace. But there's no resolution in any of that. It's like having a problem with the bills, so you've decided to spend all your money on alcohol to forget about your bills. Guess what happens? The bills don't get paid, and they don't just go away. The only thing that I've learned you ignore and will go away are your teeth. And the world offers distractions. The next relationship. The next porn site. The next adrenaline moment and we distract ourselves from the fact that we are killing ourselves we all know that these bodies we live in are decaying and the older we get the quicker it happens and the more profoundly it tells us and yet in that if we could distract ourselves long enough we avoid the reality that those bills still have to be paid and this is the best the world it gives you explanation retaliation and distraction, but Jesus brings the revolution of resolution. How about we resolve it? Let's pay those bills. When Jesus died on the cross, it was because you owed a bill you couldn't pay, and Jesus paid a bill he didn't owe because he loves you. The things that we want, you know those moments when we can get on, for me, get on a warm beach and smell the salt air, and jump in the water a little bit and swim, get in all of it. There's nothing wrong with that because your body needs that. That's actually called rest. For which, by the way, God speaks an awful lot about. The problem is, if you don't have peace, you'll never genuinely have rest. As a matter of fact, that's why the traditional greeting is Shabbat Shalom which means, I mean, 
For us, it's a little morbid because it sounds like it's rest in peace, in essence. But the idea is, is there's an understanding that without peace, rest is really a feeble venture. Jesus says, and well, I should say this, the Father says in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you nuach. Nuach is rest. As long as my presence is with you, there is rest. And of course, maybe your mind runs to Matthew 11:28. Mine does. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Understand, labor is not just working. It's the idea you've toiled to exhaustion. Man, you are exhausted because you are trying so hard here and you are so weighed down He says, if you just come to me, I will give you on a Powell rest. Where you would take ease, repose. Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Not just rest for your bodies rest for your soul. And you've ever had those those sleepless or near sleepless nights where there was something that went so awry, you're not going to sleep tonight because of it. But you know what I've learned? Something's happened in London, and I don't know what it is, but it's like I don't even have an event to turn to and go, oh, if that event could be resolved, then I'd get a good night's sleep. You ever have nights where you just don't sleep well? You just but there's no real, genuinely, seemingly unresolved issue. And then you turn to the Lord and go, God, is there something I'm missing? And how faithfully is to say, let's resolve this. Or you need to go resolve this with so-and-so. Hear me, I'm almost done. Jesus is looking at men who have appointments that they themselves have set to fail tonight. Every one of them. So at the moment, they are boasting arias of their grandiose obedience, strength, support, commitment to them. And they're like at that weightless moment before the roller coaster just goes, and he sees it on every one of them, and he just goes, I forgive you, and I forgive you peace. And peace I give to you. Not like the world's peace. It's not going to be one that you'll be able to explain. It's not one that's going to come at your retaliation and you feel like justice has been served. It's not one that's going to come by distraction, so it's sort of a temporary, uh, you know, and we get the idea, you are aware that muse means to think, right? And ah, like atheist is a negative, so when we want to not think, we ah, muse ourselves. That's what the word means. An amusement park should be a place where you don't think. Jesus goes, that's not the peace you're looking for. What you need is to resolve these things. Or you'll never, ever rest. Well, what are those things that will happen? What wages war against that? Look at the last part of this, and we'll bring this to close. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you remember how at the end of this, Jesus would say that the enemy has nothing in him? Not nothing on him. 
It isn't like the enemy is trying to develop a case and he just can't seem to come up with any decent charge. Well, well, by the way, have you learned this yet? The enemy does not need a legitimate charge to find something to accuse you. Have you learned that? One thing I've learned serving the Lord in ministry is if they have to make it up to accuse you, you must be doing okay. But that doesn't mean because you live that kind of life, that doesn't mean that the enemy won't try to charge you with something. And you know what's even worse? Is even if he has to make something up, that doesn't mean even people that you love that are dear to you will not believe it. The enemy wants to throw in you trouble and fear. He wants to agitate you and he wants to make you afraid. And I can see Jesus in context of this saying, the enemy has nothing in me. He keeps throwing, but it keeps bouncing up and smacking him in the head like that scene in Thor. And he goes, don't let your heart be agitated. The enemy will throw that. Now, how does he do that? Through doubt. He'll say, well, Jesus says he's coming back, but when? What does that mean? How is that going to play out? And what are you going to do in between? Don't you kill yourself with the what ifs? What if he doesn't come back? What if he doesn't come back in time? What if he doesn't come back when I need him the most? What if he doesn't come back when, when I expect him? You know, there's no one who ever gives good what ifs. Have you ever known that? Nobody kind of goes, well, what if today is the day something amazing happens? Because people don't seem to get that. That is, sadly enough, that person irritates people. I know from experience. But on the other side, I've had a person that'll be like, well, maybe we'll all die. Everyone just assumes that's kind of normal. But we get to the, well, maybe actually let's go on the what ifs. What if God does something amazing? What if he parts this guy and comes and gets us? He promised us he would. What if that happened today? Well, you know, you know and, it just, and it reminds me of people praying for Peter. Peter, Peter, they were probably hungry too. But they were praying for Peter. And there they were and they were, you know, and, and Rhoda answers the door and they're praying and Peter gets released. He's in prison. He's been arrested by the religious leaders. And they're all praying, God, release Peter. We're going to fast and pray. Lord, release Peter. And Peter's at the door knocking at the door. And he's like, let me in, let me in. And the girl at the door gets so excited, she went in and she goes, hey, you guys, Peter's released. And they're like, shut up. You know, it's probably his angel. It's probably, it's like amazing. It's like the what ifs play out now, right? I mean, here we are. And here's the funny part. They're like, we're going, God, please release Peter from jail. And the girl comes running. That's keeping the door, mind you. And she says, oh, Peter's been released from jail. And we're like, shut up. That's impossible. Lord, release Peter from jail. How does that work? So clearly we're in good company when we're at that way, but that doesn't mean it's proper behavior or protocol. Jesus goes, I know your heart is prone to being agitated. Terraso, troubled, stirred up, agitated. And your heart is prone to cling to fear. And you know what? If you can't find anything to be afraid of, we'll read the news. Let's just be honest. If I don't have anything to freak out about, the news will always be helpful in that direction. But it's like my heart will naturally let myself be afraid or fearful or troubled. But Jesus will end by saying this beautiful section, 14 through 16, he'll say again, don't be freaked out. Loose paraphrase to the same thing. And he says, I've overcome the world. And now I've gained those words. Now listen, 
today in this room, you came in here. Some of you, you're agitated. Some of you, you're afraid. Some of you have no peace at all right now. You came in here and you're like, this was the message I had to hear. Because you've been giving audience to the enemy who's told you that you have a right not to forgive them. You have a right to take your hand, make a fist out of it, and continue to punch yourself until you knock yourself out. You have a legal right to do that. It's not healthy, um, it's not healthy behavior. We're all aware of that. But it doesn't mean that you can't do it. Wouldn't, don't you want it off of you? Isn't it time to get peace? Well, it starts with the one who took all of your crimes against him and laid them upon his shoulders and nailed to a cross and he left them there, buried for good. Have you even said yes to him? You could say, well, I don't deserve that. And I would say, yeah, you're right. None of us do. And that's why it's grace. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you because he's love. And because of that today, he wants to wash you clean and set you free. And see, I find that hard to believe. And I understand. And the reason is because if you were God, you wouldn't forgive us. If I were God, I wouldn't forgive us. And for that, I'd say, praise God, we're not God. So what are you holding on to? What do you got that you think is so valuable that it's worth torturing yourself for the rest of your life so that your walk can just be a limp at while you continue to take the pipe and bash yourself on the shins daily over this. And you might say, well, I don't think I can forgive. Okay, that's fair enough. Then call to the one who can. Because if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he'll take it off of you. Now, I'll be honest. If you hear that and you already know there's something that you need to let go of, there's a part of you fighting right now, isn't there? There's a part of your heart right now and it is fighting, but you're not fighting me and you're not fighting my words. You're fighting a God who wants to get the razor blade out of your hand so you could stop cutting yourself open. But you know, the problem is, you'll say a part of me is going to die over this. And the father goes, oh, I understand. My son died to forgive you. But it also empties your arsenal, doesn't it? You don't feel like you have a reason to be mad at God anymore, a reason to be mad at them anymore. What's better is you don't have a reason to torture yourself anymore. So we're going to pray. Today in this room, listen to God who says, I... Even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43:25. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd love to give you that opportunity.
If you're not sure, you can walk out of here, sure. And if you have, and we call ourselves Christian, which is supposed to mean Christ-like, then let's just openly confess to God, I, I stink at forgiving. I am not good at it. So you are going to really have to take this area over. Because I'm done torturing myself over this. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you say, peace I leave with you. I forgive to you. And peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do you give. That our hearts would not be troubled and we should not let them be troubled nor let them be afraid. And I confess to you that if we don't turn to you, we will demand explanations, retaliation, and distractions, but nothing gets resolved. And the hole gets deeper, the walls go higher, the iron bars are forged more and more so. And in all of that, there are a lot of things, God, you could bring up right now that I could be like, have I really let that go? But to give you permission to forgive through us, we recognize for that to happen, we have to. Em- we are, in essence, emptying every bullet out of our chambers. We're laying to rest our arguments and the court cases we have been judge and jury over and over and over again. And today in this room, You want to set us free. We don't doubt for a moment that the horrible things that have happened either to us or someone we love are legitimately evil. And because of that, these people may not deserve, do not deserve forgiveness, but then neither do I deserve yours. I will never deserve your forgiveness. But in this room right now, Jesus, you tell us that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we are asking for peace. So here in this room, if there be anyone who first recognizes they do not have peace with God, and all of their good works do not remove and abandon those things that we've done wrong prior. But Father, you love us so much, you sent Jesus to die on the cross, that we had no sins of his own to pay, so that all of our offenses against you would be paid in full. So here in this room, you ask us to accept that forgiveness. And accepting that forgiveness, you come and make your home inside of us. 
And here in this room or at the sound of this voice, if you have never accepted Jesus' gift, or you're not sure if you have, just pray this prayer with me right now. God, I am a sinner, but you've paid for my sin on the cross of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And He paid for my sins. And He died there for my sins, for my offenses, was buried and just like Scripture promised, rose again on the third day and offers me a new life. And I say yes. You want to take away all my guilt, all my shame, all of these offenses and lift them off of me, then please do. You want to remove them from between us, please do. I accept Jesus not only as my Savior and ransom, but as the Lord of my new life. Make me like you. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. And God, I pray for every believer in here, myself included, if there be anything we have entertained that we feel we have a right to be a jerk about and we've opened the doors, therefore, to myriads of other activities of the flesh, just like Galatians 5 teaches us that the works of the flesh are evident. And the moment we start allowing bitterness into our lives, we open the door for the enemy to throw in all kinds of investments into the flesh that manifest in the most horrific of ways. But we confess to you, Lord, that there are parts of us, that there's no part of us that just genuinely and naturally wants to forgive in and of the fact that the offense always seems to be greater until we honestly consider the person, in many cases, is someone we love. And we build walls between us because of an event and still claim they're more important. Tear down every wall. And for every vial of poison, we want to continue to drink over an event or over a person. For every time the bile in our livers come to our throat when we remember an individual. For every time, Lord, that we feel the pain over and over and our blood boils over and over and our hearts get agitated over and over and we get angrier and our blood pressure rises and all of those things happen because somewhere in all of it, we have not even recognized the necessity of letting these things go. We want you, Jesus, to forgive through us. Cast these things off of us. That even if they are remembered, God, that they are remembered without that pain and that emotion anymore. But that we would see you covered in the blood like all of our sins covered in your blood. Cleanse us. Set us free. And I pray tonight would be the greatest night of rest because of the peace you give us right now. So set us free from our unrest. Set us free from our unforgiveness. And dig up, exhume, and completely purge us from all bitterness and unforgiveness.
that we would look like you. We recognize doing this disarms us, but sets our arms free to praise you as we should. So we grant you this, Lord, what you've been wanting to do for so long. Have your way in us now and set us free that we would help set others free. In Jesus' name.